Welcome to Stay Grounded with your host, me, Raj Jana. I'm the founder of Java Press Coffee Company, and my life changed after my mentor died with three months left until retirement. That experience inspired me to start a personal journey to discover how we can all live a purpose-driven and meaningful life starting today. I interview everyone from best-selling authors and business moguls to extreme athletes and monks to discuss happiness, success, and fulfillment to uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post-podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding. Welcome to this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you are all having a wonderful day so far. I am so excited to be introducing this week's guest, Mr. Asher Packman. But before I introduce him, I just wanted to give you guys a little update on my own life and why this particular episode just means the world to me. In all honesty, it's probably one of the most important episodes that we've recorded just because the idea of death is something that, one, we're all going to have to face one day. So in the last month, I lost my grandmother and my aunt, both to COVID-related, just COVID. I mean, COVID got my grandmother into the hospital, and then she died from heart failure. And then my aunt ended up passing away from actual COVID-related complications within a two-week period. And it's just been a really, really, really tough sort of experience for me, my family to be present inside. And I wanted to bring someone onto the show that has had a very intimate experience with death, whether it's the death of people in their lives or their own mortality. And Asher came to mind. So just so you guys know, Asher is a globally recognized meditation teacher and mindset coach. He has gone through the ringer. (laughs) I mean, you name it. He has had two of his sisters pass away his mother passed away. And then he's also, he has a terminal illness, uh, progressive rare blood cancer. And so he's also being faced with his own mortality. So he's just, he's really been dealt a certain set of cards that have forced him to look at death in a very intimate way. And now Asher runs death workshops. Uh, he is a certified heart math and Wim Hof method instructor, uh, certified Kundalini yoga teacher. He's the president of meditation Australia I mean, you name it. Uh, I mean, Asher, he also founded Warrior Within, which is a, it's, you're going to hear a lot about that on the show. And in general, I, I just feel like Asher has taken these cards that he was dealt, either family members dying, his own sort of prognosis with the cancer, and has turned that into a reason to live. And that's what we really talk about on this episode. And something that I've become very present to is this idea of death being the greatest teacher of all. You know, we live our lives thinking that we're going to be around forever. The human mind just doesn't want to face our inevitable mortality. But the only two guaranteed things in life are birth and death. Life is what happens in the middle. And when we can learn to truly lean into death as as a focusing agent to live our lives, to live with fullness, to live with courage, we change the direction of our lives. We, We start living in truth. We start living with power. We start to truly, truly, truly do the things that we were meant to do in this life because we recognize the we recognize the only truth is that one day we're not going to be here. And so I love this conversation so much. I mean, I like I said, I've been wanting to have a conversation around death and I just felt like with all the things happening in my life, this was the perfect time. I mean, we talk and this conversation was so deep. I mean, we talked about so many different concepts, everything from acceptance of death to how do you use death as an anchor without truly being so morbid and negative. How do you talk to kids about death 
And um, how do you navigate the journey from our head to our heart? And how can concepts like birth and death create life? I mean, this is just such an important episode and one that I hope all of you listen to with the fullness of your heart. Um, because guys, at the end of the day, I hate, I mean, it's, it's, it is what it is. Like we're all going to die. We're all going to die. So instead of running from that truth, let's face it. Let's look at it. Let's, let's learn to respect that inevitability so that we can truly learn to live. So anyways, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. If you haven't already, and we make all of Asher's links available in the show notes. If you guys want to reach out to him, attend any of his death workshops. He lives in Australia. Just, yeah, I mean, he's just such a brother and I love this guy. And and I'm just so grateful that you guys get to experience his heart. If you haven't already subscribed to us on iTunes, Spotify, any of the podcast apps, all that means is every single time we release a new episode, it drops right into your phone. Leave us a review, reach out to me on social media. Let me know what's coming up for you and what's not. Um, really, uh, these conversations are such a gift to be had and i'm just grateful that we get to share them with you so anyways guys i'm done blabbering enjoy the amazing mr asher packman cheers yo 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 welcome everyone to this week's episode of stay grounded hope you're all having a brilliantly grounded day for this incredibly deep conversation with my brother mr asher how are you I'm very well. Thanks, Raj. Good to be here, man. I'm so excited for this, brother. We connected uh, actually about a week ago. Instant sparks, instant obvious soul brother connection that I'm just so grateful to go deeper down the rabbit hole on, especially with topics like death that are generally pretty uncomfortable topics in the grand scheme of things. Like I I think we talked about this when we were first getting connected, that human beings are one of the few creatures, or at least to our knowledge, that vehemently don't want to think about the one thing that is actually certain in life, which is death. Yeah, and absolutely, man. And yeah, we did spend a bit of time talking about that. And and I was we were talking about the fact that right now in this current moment in time, death has really been placed under the spotlight. You know, right. and I think a lot of the discomfort that we're feeling is as, you know, as a collective is is that very fact that we've been asked a very big question that is, you know, what is my relationship with death? Why do you think people are afraid of the idea of death when it is truly one of the only things that is certain in life? I think it's got something to do with not liking endings. You know, human beings, we have this kind of innate desire to, to, to want everything to keep going. You know, you think about lots of things in your life, your relationships. You know, I don't know how you are, Raj, but maybe if you're getting to the end of like a really good book, you start to slow down. Yeah. You know, because you're like, oh, man, I don't want this feeling to end. I just think it's innately kind of built in. It's a survival mechanism, right? It's a good point. Like, and even like comfort as a, as a concept, when you find something that you're comfortable in, it's almost like the mind doesn't want to comprehend the discomfort and what is unknown, which is beyond the veil of death is like, it's unknown. So it's almost like it's not even a fear of death as much as it is uncertainty. Oh, I agree. And I think uncertainty is a key word there, man. Cause I think, it, it's you know, human beings are interesting because we have this, we kind of crave good feelings, you know, but then the minute we get good feelings, we start worrying that the good feelings aren't going to last. Yeah. And so we're in this kind of constant state, you know, we're either desiring something or in the thing that we desired, worried about the fact that it might end. So we're, right. we're never, we're never kind of in that place where we're just, just in it. I'm, I'm obviously generalizing, but that seems to be the arc of many people's lives. I mean, what do you think, like, I mean, you, especially in your death workshops, like as people come in to your workshops, like what is the first sort of rewiring 
or the mindset shift that you even walk people through to almost change or challenge their relationship with death? Yeah, look, I think you've just got to go inside and ask yourself that deep question that we started with here. Like, where am I right now in this moment in terms of my relationship with death? You know, have I, have I brushed it under the carpet or, you know, I mean, many people kind of see it as a problem with which needs to be solved, you know? Um, And so in reaching some kind of solution, there's a number of ways you can go about that. You can either not have conversations and and pretend it doesn't exist at all um, and kind of push it to one side, or perhaps, you know, there's the whole framework of, of spiritual belief. You can, you know, find a story that suits you, which protects you from having to think about death because there's an afterlife or there's some other way of framing it that kind of softens the blow a little bit. Um, and I think all, that's, you know, I'm, I'm not here to suggest that there's anything wrong with that, but I think yeah. you've got to ask yourself, is that spiritual bypassing in a way? Is that just another way of kind of solving the problem of death in your own mind so that you don't have to consider it? And, and the folly in that for me is that death is literally the greatest teacher that we have. I mean, if you were able to live the life, your life in a way where you're conscious of your death, then it's going to it's going to point your life in the right direction in terms of the decisions you make and and what's actually important. Can you describe that concept a little more, maybe from your own life? I mean, I mean, you have an incredible story, right? Like, and I would love for you to maybe describe your story, but also sort of maybe give an example from your own life around how death or an experience of death or the idea of death kind of challenged your own. Or, or gave you the urgency, if you would, or the clarity, if you would, to begin living? Yeah. Well, I guess I can rewind the clock a little bit to 2007 uh, when my sister um, took her own life. And, and for me, that was, that was the beginning of this conversation internally, because I think up until that stage, as many young men do, actually, you just think you're sort of 10 foot tall and invincible and death isn't really something that you, you take on. But when you know, your only sibling is suddenly ripped away from you like that, you, you have no choice but to kind of ask some much deeper questions. And for me, there was a period of time when you kind of go through this disbelief. And, and I remember actually saying to myself all the time, I can't believe this has happened. And you hear that cliche all the time. But if it's true in your body, in your mind, then suddenly you're very much at odds with your reality. If you're living a life which you actually can't believe is true. And so for me, having gone to that deep place inside myself and, and, and gone into the dark there a little bit, you know, I found that what I was afraid of, death, was actually a beautiful teacher. And I started to change, you know, I started to see changes in my life. I, I think I became more compassionate, both to myself, but also to the people around me and understanding that, you know, life is not certain and it could be taken away from you at any time. Like I've often said before, we're only renting this life. You know, and the angel of death can come and take it back whenever she pleases. As you're saying that, I I can imagine that to some people that feels like a morbid thought, like that's a negative thought. Like my mom, hands down, would be like, stop being so negative. Stop being so negative. Stop being so negative. But I think that the way you're describing this, like, and I found this to be true in my life, like, especially as of late with my grandmother passing and my aunt passing and me being so present in that experience. I mean, recognizing that, death is 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 real doesn't mean i am seeking it it doesn't mean that i am calling it into my life it's almost a reverence and a respect for for the process of life i think when you learn to respect something you learn to appreciate it and and you learn to truly drop into presence 
and the and you seek that depth in the moments and and you, you it's almost like you you increase your own ability to experience more from what's already in front of you which i think is the true gift that the acknowledgement of death provides yeah yeah i, I think you're spot on and, and it's really interesting um listening to you talking about your, your potentially your, your, your mum's reaction because that's a reaction of a lot of people but i can take that even one step further, you know. So I've got a six-year-old son. Sometimes I'll mention in my workshops, it's like sometimes when I, when I sit in the corner of the room and I watch him playing and being all happy, I'll, I'll bring in the thought consciously that, you know, one day he's going to die. And that could be, you know, I'm uncertain as to when, as to how. And a lot of people will say, oh, man, you know, you, you can't think like that. That's a, that's a terrible thought. But my view is by thinking like that, can you imagine how much that powers my love for that child? Yeah. Like in that moment, you know, in that moment, everything becomes illuminated and, and my love and my heart and I can just feel it. And I just want to make sure that every moment with that child is so precious. And obviously that's that, you know, knowing, as you know, I'm sure we'll get into it, my own, my own health condition at the moment, that's even more true. So there's something profoundly wise and it doesn't mean that you have to like live every single moment like it could be last. It's just a, it's just a, it's just a teacher. It's just, it's just sitting there on your shoulder and, and bringing it in every once in a while and just reminding yourself of that fact. I mean, subconsciously, brother, we're thinking about death all the time. It's, it's there beneath the surface. Like if you stop and think about it, you're having a conversation with death all the time. And you reach the side of the street and you look left and you look right to make sure you don't get hit by a car. Like the brain is constantly trying to stop you from dying. And so therefore there's a conversation going on in the background. And the suggestion here is to just gently bring it into the foreground and, and accept it and, and own it a little. There's a beautiful teacher. I know Frank Ostaseski, you know, who wrote a book called The Five Invitations, which I would really recommend. You know, he said that death is the teacher hidden in plain sight. Mm. And, and I really love that. He said it's in the marrow of every passing moment. It's the ultimate cardinal rule and it, yeah. it truly does I, I actually think that the only thing that can quiet the mind is the acknowledgement of death like when you truly like i mean i've found it in my own life like when when you recognize that something that, that you're all going to die one day like that to me is literally one of the fastest ways for me to actually think about what's important it's it's like like when i think about like do i want to send this to that girl? Do I want to, you know, have this conversation? Do I want to go after that thing? Do I want to, like, when it comes down to those big fork in the road decisions, or even the decisions around, like, like, if, if I want a clarifying sort of, if, if I want something to clarify my own experience, like, what is true for me, calling death in as the teacher, as the magnifying glass, calling death in, like, if I died tomorrow, what would we, would I be proud of doing today? And living into that truth I think I think that to me has literally been the one thing that has quieted my mind when I have done some very or when I have to face some very 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 scary, anxious, nerve wracking decisions, or even not even a decision, but maybe so like a way of life. Acknowledging that someone died allows me to truly actually text my mom and tell her I love her. Right? It's 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 like that reminder to come back to what's happening now in this moment and what we can control. I completely agree. Yeah. Again, just turning back to, to Ostaseski, he worked in a, a palliative care, um, the Zen Buddhist palliative care center for you know, decades and um, saw literally tens of thousands of people go through there and, and, and was with them to the end of their lives. And, and in his book, he sort of distills it down to five lessons that you can learn from death. And brother, in that little, little 
little um, piece from you just then. You, you covered like almost all of them. Great. So, you know, I think, I think. <laughs> so you guys don't you know, have to read the book. You can just listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, 100%. But the, the idea of, um, you know, he says, he says, you know, number one, you know, death teaches us not to wait. It's like, you know, if you, if you want to reach out and tell that person you love them, just do it, man. Like, well, you know, now's the time, right? You know, while well, you've got the chance, who knows? And the other thing is, is he talks about is like showing up fully, you know, like fully experiencing life, you know, like investing everything in, in the moment and what it is you're doing. And I think that's a beautiful thing too, you know. And he also says to like welcome everything in your life. And the idea of welcoming death is would be the pinnacle of that. But he says, whatever shows up at your door, invite it in. Well, I think there's an important thing, like, because I want to welcoming and calling in are two very different ideas. And I think most people, they assume that to be the same thing. Like truly, I, and I want to reiterate this, like just because you're acknowledging and welcoming whatever's in front of you, which may or may not include something like death, does not mean that you're actively seeking it or you're saying that I want this thing or you're saying that this is the thing that's going to come into my life. Like it's truly just an acknowledgement of what is. It is It is the drop back into reality. I think that is been really doing a lot of like digging into just masculinity and masculine purpose. And I think that that is like the true dance between the yin and the yang. Like if you think about the, the, the masculine, it's, it's, it truly is a reminder of death. And then if you think about the feminine, it truly is a reminder of life. And I think that we have these energies inside of us. We have these, these, these harmonious ways of being by truly learning to, to, to play with both. You're actually learning to live. Which, and I remember one of the quotes you gave me last week, which was one of my favorite quotes, and I wrote it down, which was, the opposite of uh, death is not life, it is birth. Life is actually what happens in the middle. Mm. And I remember that being one of the most profound quotes that I wrote it down, and I, I was living into it all week uh, when you said that to me. Yeah, no, I think that that's part of what goes on with us. We see life and death as opposites. So therefore, life is something I want, death is something I don't want. But, you know, the truth of the matter is, like you said, it's birth and death, which are opposites and, and life, life contains both. So therefore, you know, we need to own both basically because they're all a part of life. I think definitely, particularly in the West here, we, we have this view of, of, of the two things, life and death being complete opposites. And, and that's just simply not the way it is. I think even that small reframing does an awful, an awful lot inside your own mind in terms of some of the things you were speaking to earlier. And I like this idea of the difference between welcoming and, and calling. I hadn't considered it that way before. And I think that's, that is, it, it's an important point to make, an important distinction to make. And also when, when things show up at the door, you know, we, we have this tendency to look at them immediately and make a decision as to whether they're good or bad. And we, we, we actually don't know what's good for us. You don't know what's showing up at the door that might 10 years down the track be the greatest thing that ever happened to you. But the moment when you opened the door and saw it there, you thought it was awful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the, that's the spur, right? Like we're meaning making machines as human beings. And sometimes we don't really know the reason why something's happening in our life. Like, I don't know. I mean, just from my own life, like I have no idea why my grandmother and my aunt would pass within two weeks of each other. I have no idea why I, I cannot explain it, but at the same vein, I can recognize that it gave life to something new. It gave life to a new depth of feeling for me. It gave life to a new sense of responsibility in the way I show up, not just for my family, but for the people around me. It led to healing and grieving with my parents that I just, it's, it's impossible to really see what 
the end, I guess, experience is. I just love the idea that it's never done. I, I agree. And these are the, some of the, the things that you're seeing and these experiences have happened to you reasonably recently. But in a decade from now, when you look back at the passing of your aunt and your grandmother, then what lens are you looking at through? Because a lot of things will have happened in the meantime, potentially as a result. Like I, I as you know, brother, and we'll get into this, you know, I've got a, a blood cancer diagnosis at the moment. And, you know, for me that day, you know, when I was diagnosed seemed like a very bad day. But when I look back now, there's so many beautiful blessings that I've had as a result of that, including having a six-year-old son. And so, you know, would I give my cancer back? No way. No way. So I don't see it as a good or a bad thing. It's, it's neither, actually. It's certainly very informative. And, and, and my cancer, just like death, is a great, great teacher. Can you talk to me about that? Well, because it, it's really just a, a fine-tuning of the discussion we had before. Like for me, going through this process, it, it does keep death in the foreground to a certain degree. You know? yeah. and, and that doesn't mean walking around going, I've got cancer, I'm going to die. It's actually the opposite. It's an invitation to live fully. What was really interesting is you, you talked about your son and the way that you communicate death with him. What has his relationship been with your prognosis? And like how, how has that changed the relationship with him? And I guess like, so I think this is a really important, there's a lot of parents that are on the show that may not feel, like especially now with COVID and there's all these sort of fears around death in general. Like, it's, like I said, it's brought up to the forefront. Like it's brought up some uncomfortable conversations with parents and children. So how has this whole experience changed your own son's relationship with death? And have you seen a good or bad way to sort of even have these conversations with, with kids? Yeah, look, I think it's quite unique. But what, what I will say is this. I think we need to give kids more credit than we do in terms of their ability to understand like this, um, things like this. So, you know, for me, that's what my son has shown me, that, um, that he's actually a wise little guy. And actually, every single day, brother, he teaches me. He teaches me how to be in the world. Kids are amazing in terms of their presence and their ability to see beauty in the world and their wild imagination, which is something that we lose as adults. And, and, and imagination is what's lacking right now in the world. And that we see everything through a, a logos kind of lens, brother. You know, it's like, have, have a look at the way we're, we look at the current situation with coronavirus. It's all numbers and statistics and it's very, very linear. And I think if we're going to call ourselves back into, you know, wherever we're headed, it's going to have something to do with sparking our imagination. And kids have that. Well, what's beautiful is, is depth. When you truly allow yourself to sink into the present moment and, and with depth, it could be any experience, like whatever's in front of you is your biggest teacher, your biggest opportunity, your biggest canvas for creation and expansion and feeling, right? Like there's so much that can happen in every moment. And I truly, I, I think that that's the beauty of children, like children actually live so fully in the moment and live so in harmony with the flow of the moment. And it's beautiful what you just said, like, especially your own, like with your own experience and your cancer, like. Your child, your kid's the reminder. Your son is the reminder to truly actually access those states that we came into this world accessing, but for some reason we got so disconnected from. Maybe it's a distraction. Maybe it's a, you know, maybe we got caught up in forgetting that we're going to die. Yeah, it's part of that, man. I think, you know, I, I think partly to do with 
culture and, and, and the structure of society. You know, it's like we're taught that in order to progress and do well and succeed, that we have yeah. to become academically intelligent, you know, and so it's all about being up in your head and learning things. But there's this other kind of intelligence, which is in the center of your chest. And, and that's, where the, that's where kids mostly are until we kind of, you know, beat it out of them through the system. A lot of becoming an adult or for me is about, is about, is about relearning that, that second layer of intelligence, you know. Yeah. And, you know, you really, you know, a lot of people who start, you know, I guess, quote, unquote, waking up, that's all it really is. It's taking that. I say the biggest journey um, a lot of people take in their lives is eight inches, you know, from their head back to their heart again. Sometimes it takes a tragedy or it takes like a bit of a jolt from the universe, which, which puts you into a dark place because you've got to go into the depths of your soul. And to me, brother, so much of kind of spirituality and whatever you want to call that at the moment is about up ascension, you know, going up and, oh, and feeling the connectedness and the, and the oneness with the universe. And, oh, man, blissful. And, but I'll tell you one thing, you've got to go in and down a lot of the time and, and, you know, into a bit of a descent because what you find in your soul is a little star seed of what you see up above. And then when you realize that two things are connected and you realize that deep in my soul, deep in my heart is the same thing as what's up there. And then you can recognize the fullness of what it really means to be awake in the world, not just go up. You've kind of missed a step. And so I think when we have a death or a sickness or, or, or a divorce or a bankruptcy, these are invitations to go down, you know, not, not, not to go up and miss the lesson. 100%. It's a, a really good friend of mine gave me this perspective. You got to befriend before you transcend. And oh, yeah. I, I love the idea of, you know, befriending what's inside. A mentor of mine said, you know, a little bit of indarkenment. Yeah. Indarkenment. May, may be required. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Go, go the other way into the shadow and, and, and feel it because you're like, I think when you really think about what it means to live a truly extraordinary life, like most people think it has to do with the things it has to do with the achievements. It has to do with the, with all of that. But for me, I have found that feeling, feeling the depth of life is truly what has made my life extraordinary. And that is my truth. Right. Like when I can truly sit in any moment and feel like the luckiest, most grateful person on the planet, I am living. When I have a great, when I, when something terrible happens in my life, like when my grandmother passes and I am going into the deepest, darkest, most scary cry that I've ever had, that is me living. That is me truly feeling and opening up my own capacity because every feeling is a, it's just a pass through. Right. So when you, Use your feelings and the opportunities in front of you as an invitation to truly feel, well, whenever the good things happen, then you've just opened up your own capacity to experience that thing with even more life, with even more presence, with even more joy, connectedness. And of course, it's a dance because you're going to go back into the shadow and then you're going to come back up to the light and then darken men and the enlightenment. You're going to have that roller coaster. But that to me is truly a life well lived. It is not in the things, in the accumulation. It is in the integration, if you would, of your life's experience with what's going on inside of you. Yes, to all of that. Absolutely. You know, it, so many of us don't, don't do that because as soon as things get difficult or hard or uncomfortable, we, we, we just we look for the light again. There's, can, can I tell you a story, man? Of course. 
<laughs> of course you could tell so this story. I'm, <laughs> I'm going back. This is a little this is a little myth, but back in the 13th century, you know, we've all heard of the Sufi poets like Hafiz, uh, Hafez and Kabir and, and Rumi. Yeah. There was a, a a Sufi mystic by the name of um, Mullah Nazaruddin and he was kind of seen as like, you know, you know the wise fool. The wise fool consider him that, yeah. There's this ancient story of Mullah Nazaruddin, and he's 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 frantically looking under 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 a gas lamp for clearly something he's lost. He's like scrabbling around in the dirt, yeah. And it's it's nighttime, and one of his friends sees him like uh, sees him under the gas lamp, like you know, scrabbling around. And he says, "Oh, you know, Mullah Nazaruddin, can I help you? You know, you've obviously lost something." And he said, "Yes, I've lost my golden ring. It's the most precious thing I have in my life, and you know, I, I have to find it." And so the two of them are on their hands and knees, you know, getting dirt all over them and, and, and frantically searching for this ring. And the friend says to um, Nazaruddin, are you sure you, you lost it here? And he said, oh, no, 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 I lost it over there. And he points way off into the dark. And the friend says, well, why are we searching here? And he said, because this is where the light is. Mm. You feeling that, brother? Mm. Yeah. That sums up kind of where we've been in the last five minutes in talking that so many of us, we, we, you know, we're looking for the gold or, or whatever we think it is in our lives, but we, we kind of only look where the, where the light's shining. And I can tell you that most of the time it ain't there. Why are we so, oh man, there's, I got so much in this. I mean, I, I know the answer to this, but in general, the darkness, where did we learn our fear of the darkness? When, when truly it is the duality, it is like some of these, like, where did we learn to fear the dark? I think it goes back to this, this innate desire to just want to feel good and want to feel comfortable and want to feel warm, which is, you know, partly, I guess, a survival mechanism. Yeah. But we know, we know truly that it, it's only in the discomfort that we, that we grow. You know, like, um, you know, I'm a Wim Hof instructor. And I'm not sure if you're into into the great the great Dutchman, big fan, big fan, the, the, the great uh, crazy Dutchman. Well, big think fan. about that. Pro- yeah, well, think about that process. You know, he's talking about getting into freezing cold water, and and that's the place where we grow. You know, um, I, I I would wonder if you said to Wim, you know, would you are, are we growing when we're kind of lying on a towel on the beach in in a resort somewhere? You know, with the sun shining down, feels nice, but I'm not learning much. Yep. <laughs> oh man. Well, okay. Let me ask another question. Why don't you think learning then? Because it, like, I, I realize, like, so I'm addicted to learning, and it sounds like you are too. And 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 to me, that then causes a certain. Or we're curious. Maybe maybe there's curiosity at our core, which is what allows us to enter the darkness or the shadow with an open with an open mind. Why why do you think people aren't interested in in that in in, in the curiosity and the learning? that exists in the shadow. Well, I think it, it, it's interesting because I think it loops right back around to you use the word curious and curiosity. Isn't that, isn't that just another way of saying imagination? And, and we mm. talked earlier about the fact that there's a lack of imagination yeah. and, and we're losing that, that mythos sense of the brain, which is that there's something, something more. I mean, imagine for a moment if you gave yourself permission to think that, that your life was of enormous consequence, like way beyond what you can even imagine. That's what I mean. There's imagination again. You know, imagine that you have been given a mandate when you were born to kind of be part of this puzzle and this enormous universe in a way that when we think in a linear fashion, it just doesn't give you the ability to, to understand that. Imagine your life was that big for a moment and, and you just got to go and, and, and 
and play your part in a way. And, and then that, that leads into giving you your higher purpose, which you're willing to die for. And then we loop the whole conversation right back around again. Because if you're that invested in it, it's, you, it, you almost become an unstoppable force in reaching that, that purpose and fulfilling that, that mandate. And if that includes your demise, then you'd be okay with that because you're on your path. Man, this is going to work. I'm so glad this is where we are right now in the conversation, because what do you think is the, the balance between destiny and free choice? Like the universe is perfect by design. Like nature is perfect by design. Nothing, nothing happens with or without. Like, I mean, it's, it's just perfect. Like I, at least in my life, I have looked at everything and the perfection I feel in this moment would not be able to exist without all of the circumstances that I either thought were good or bad. So in some way, shape or form, everything has unfolded for me to be here in this moment. But I also recognize that I made a lot of choices and I chose to act or I chose to follow a, a, a sign or not follow a sign, which has also led me to this point. So what do you think is the dance between destiny and free choice and, 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 and creating that, that sense of purpose that you would ultimately die for? Yeah, it's such a good question, isn't it? And it, it is a dance. Even, even I can feel the dance in that question, even in the way you're moving when you're yeah, asking it. Yeah. So yeah, um, I mean, for me, I guess looking at it through a personal lens of my life, I think that the universe has a way of, of recorrecting your path. You could call that destiny if you wanted to, but it's up to you to actually listen to those messages, you know. And for me, you know, my life was kind of going in a certain way, very externally focused, you know on the corporate kind of ladder and just, and just looking for more, more, more and thinking that that was going to be my way to a fulfilled and, and happy life. And the universe was, was constantly giving me feedback about that, telling me that I needed to, to look at that. And, you know, I, I call it the, the feather, the brick and the train, you know, and at first the messages are subtle and it's a little tickle under the chin. It's like, you know, Asha, let me show you this. And of course, most of us, we don't hear that call when it comes. And so, it just keeps getting louder until you're willing to recognize it. And I always say the universe will give you the lesson at the level that you need to hear it. You know? yeah. And for me, you know, it, took, it took a great deal. You know, it took the train wreck for me to actually pay attention. But then I corrected my course and, and now I'm, I'm, I feel as if you know, every morning I get up and I love what I do and that, that wasn't the case before all these things happened to me. You know? So uh, fate, destiny, I think there's a dance. I think it's just a dance, like 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 everything in life. You know, nature is just a is just a dance. Sure, we can make choices within that, but there'll always be that the, something bigger will always be out there, kind of at, uh, at least tapping you on the shoulder and asking you to, to maybe recorrect. You know? Yeah, there's. Uh, I found that the voice of intuition is, to me, the voice of evolution. And when when you truly listen to intuition, you may not be able to understand why you feel a certain way or where that gut instinct's coming from, because there's millions of things happening in order for you to feel that. And it's not comprehensible by the mind, but that's because it's an intelligence that's beyond the mind. It's an intelligence yeah. that's accessing the connected nature of everything. And in that there is like there's profound and I think that's that's truth. Right? Like you said, like the the journey is going from the eight inches between your head back to your heart. And when you come back to the idea of death, like when you come back to absolutes, like things that are absolutes in life, not necessarily what we think are absolutes in our heads, but truly what is the true law of nature that everything is born and everything will die. And when you bring that to your forefront, that's what drops you back into heart. 
And in that heart is where that intuition, that voice of evolution, that higher wisdom and connection to something greater. Like that's, and it could be as simple as, again, text your mom and tell her you love her. It could be as simple as, hey, go ask that girl out. It could be as simple as, hey, start that business. It could be a simple, it could be a simple thing like that, just so small. Or it could just be, hey, take a deep breath. Like there's like, it's, but it's, it's that ultimate focusing agent to come back to your heart. Yes, to, to all of that. And, and I think you have to find your own way into that practice to kind of learn how to listen for that voice. And for me, you know, that's been a big part of my life is, is meditation. Yeah. And, and I think that's such a key, some form of space away from the business of your life where you can just sit down and, and listen. In, in our own culture, the indigenous people here in Australia, the, 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 the word for meditation, well, they have many words for it, but one is um, datiri, and that means deep listening. Mm. And there's this idea of just let the universe come to you. Mm. you know, let nature come to you. Just let, let the world become curious about you mm. for a while rather than the other way around. I love that idea. Um, can you talk to me about, so... One, just, just so the listeners can know like, sort of your, your story. And let's start with kind of, because I, I want to get to when you actually got into meditation or when you actually were forced to sort of start looking inward and kind of that journey and how that's evolved, especially with your sisters and your mom and then your own personal journey. Like I would just love to kind of set the container because I think that it's so powerful to realize that no matter what life throws at you, these tools, these practices, these rituals, they're the ultimate connector um, back to yourself. So could you just kind of start there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we mentioned the fact that, you know, back in 2007, when my sister passed at that stage, I was kind of at the pinnacle of, of my corporate career. I was actually in Dubai at, at that exact moment, um, about to get on stage and, and, and deliver a keynote at a marketing conference. And I got the call from my mom. And obviously, you know, my life took a very different direction from that moment on. So I jumped on a plane and went home to Australia and wow, you know, could fill the rest of the interview with what happened in the next little while after that. But as it was, my mum got quite sick after that. And, you know, she'd had cancer in the past and it came back pretty aggressively after my sister passed. And, you know, she reached a point where, where things were pretty, pretty, pretty grim in terms of her prognosis. And, and she made the decision you know, heartbreakingly to, to end her own life herself as well. Um, she just reached that threshold where she couldn't, couldn't keep going with it. I think both my sister and my mum are very brave, actually. So that's a, that's a whole other discussion potentially. But as it was, you know, for the purposes of, of my own life, I'd been beginning to feel a bit not great in, in myself physically leading up to my mum's death. And I thought there was a lot of stress around because, you know, of my sister and my mum and all these things happening and coming back home and like lots of stuff. But it, it turns out that not so long after mum died, I was given a blood cancer diagnosis and, and it wasn't a terribly good one at the time. So I had to face my own mortality while still kind of in the grieving process of, of my sister and my mum. And that, that was too much for me. So I ended up in a psych ward for a little while, just overwhelmed by everything. And it was kind of in there. You know, I wasn't in there for terribly long, but I, that, was, that was kind of my, that was ground zero. And it was in there that I started to ask those really big questions. Like, what am I doing on the planet? And what's the meaning of, of, of my existence? And, you know, who am I really? And so automatically I'm starting to ask inward 
style questions. And, and that, that turned into a, a kind of deep meditation or meditative process. And it wasn't overly new to me. Like I dabbled in it before. My mum was actually, you know, a big Kundalini yogi. And, and so I sort of grew up with chanting and mantras and mum meditating. So, you know, it wasn't unfamiliar to me. It just, it felt, it didn't feel like I just hadn't connected to it in such a deep way, you know. And so, yeah, I kind of rebuilt my life from there with, with a totally different understanding of what life was and drifted completely out of the corporate world, um, you know, through through an inability to even do it anyway because of my health. I actually went back for a couple of months at one point and just, it was just, it was just so ridiculously not what I wanted to do with my life. <laughs> Plus, I was struggling just even being able to operate at the level that I was before. So, um, yeah, physically, that didn't last very long. And over time, I just became deeply curious. Maybe, you know, my imagination got sparked, I guess. And you, know, you mentioned before my desire to keep learning, and that, was, that, was how it's, that is how it's become. So my meditation practice extended to becoming a yoga teacher, to, you know, diving into this death work that I do, et cetera, et cetera. Here we are today. But maybe like, like you, brother, I don't know, people started to come and ask me questions. They became curious of me. You know, I started to just tell them what I was up to when they were having difficulties in their life and something seemed to resonate and I realized that I'd found my purpose. Yeah. And, and resonance is a, is a beautiful concept in general because it, it insinuates that there's a frequency and, and that we're all operating on a frequency in some way, shape or form. Like that's the ultimate game. Like we're all resonating at a certain frequency. And so what's beautiful about this life is that you get like, like your, like, that's what I'm saying. Like our resonance is so similar. So like when that resonance happens, like how can people learn to almost decode resonance? Like, because I yeah. think resonance is such a powerful thing to pay attention to, especially in the concepts in the world, like in the conversations around purpose or the conversations around, you know, what am I supposed to do or what am I supposed to do next? Like resonance has, has been an interesting compass for me. So I'm curious you know, how can, like, how can people learn to truly like listen and trust resonance? Yeah. Well, I think in some sense, you've got to become the tuning fork, right? Mm. And you've got to become this instrument that understands it a little. And again, we come back to, to this, these practices of meditation and things like that, because you're right. You know, we're all energy and we're all just frequencies and, and we're yeah. all so much more than our bodies. And you can even look at some of the like like the heart, for example, is in terms of the electromagnetic field, the heart is the most powerful organ that we have. So most of the time when you're feeling into somebody else's frequency, you're actually what yeah. you're actually feeling is their heart energy because it extends you can measure it, you know, yeah. externally of the body. It's the thing that extends the furthest because it, it, it gives the most signals to, to to the rest of the body and so therefore it produces the largest and strongest electromagnetic field, way more than the brain. The heart sends way more signals to the brain than the brain does to the heart. And so when you're feeling someone, you're, what you're actually feeling is the heart. And think about us. I mean, we've never met in person. We've only met over this format. And yet I feel your heart, brother. And, and that is because, you know, we, we, science may only be able to measure it to a certain distance away from a person, but we understand that electromagnetic waves go on forever. So I go on forever. If I'm energy and not a physical body, I'm everywhere. And you're everywhere. And we can feel into that. You can feel into each other. And that's, that's why when someone truly does die, you don't actually feel them leave. Like their physical body might, might go, but 
even like even the remembrance of them, the love you feel in your heart for them, that is the energy. That's that's the energy that you feel and that's the energy that you remember. I mean, I still and I've been truly um yeah, it's I, I, I still feel my grandmother's energy. And it's it's mm. like I every time I I feel stuck or I feel lost, I mean or if I don't know if I'm doing the right thing, it's a shiver up my spine. That's like a ooh. Mm. Yeah, it's like a, just a reminder that 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 there's there's something beyond us, and for us to limit birth and death to a physical concept, it's almost missing out on the on the reality of magic that exists. Oh, I, I agree, I agree, man. And and to that point about around energy, I think we mentioned before that you know you can't destroy energy in this universe. You can't create it or destroy it. You can only transform it. So if we are energy, if we're buying into that, which is 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 the truth, then when someone dies, it's really just a transformation of their energy. I remember somebody once saying physicists should speak at funerals because mm. everybody would feel a lot better. <laughs> or a lot worse because they don't know what the hell the physicist is saying. So uh, it could be that, but it could if, be if, you, if you conned on to the fact that something <laughs> along the lines of what we've been talking about, then, um, yeah, I think you'd be onto something there. So it's beautiful that you feel your grandmother's energy around. I think that's a beautiful thing. Or just energy in general. I think I think that's the beautiful part of turning yourself into a better tuning fork, right? Like mm. when you allow yourself to truly feel what's in the body, like that is the resonance, right? Like, oh, I think, like it's like that song resonates. Well, what does that even mean? It means that that song makes you feel a certain way that you like feeling, right? Like, or that, man, I really vibe with that person. Like, like whatever that is, like that, that resonance truly comes when you can allow yourself to feel and then sort of like almost like distinguish between what is something that resonates a lot and what is something that does not resonate, which is like low and icky or maybe like, you know, so like it's almost, it is like just getting back into your body and feeling and doing the shadow work or really not being afraid to, to, to go inward. Yeah. Yeah, man. I think this is, oh, yeah. I mean, I think what you just said there is kind of profound because maybe that's why, you know, we don't like the discomfort things because we want that, a, a, that ascending signal between the heart and the brain to, to be one that is it, it, that it resonates and it feels good all the time. And yeah. if we get a disjointed signal, then you know, we want to try and improve it. So we yeah. don't like the discomfort so much because really if you look at it this way, brother, you know, the, your heart is the integration point of, of your whole life's experience. You know, it's like when you're out in the world, you really are just a, a, a vibrational interaction with, with your outer environment, you know, and that's all taking place in the heart. And then the heart is sending signals to the brain telling yeah. you whether, and then the heart kind of makes sense of that signal and decides if, it, uh, sorry, the brain makes sense of that signal from the heart. And, and then you get a thought form, good, bad. I want this. I don't want this, but it all starts at just vibrations. You know, when, when, when you and I first started talking, clearly our heart, our hearts met, right? There's this, there's these two signals. They, they, you know, what happens when two signals meet? Well, they either resonate or they dissonate. If they resonate, I get an improved signal to my brain and my brain looks around the environment to try to figure out why I suddenly feel better because there's an yeah. improved signal. And I see you in front of my eyes and I'm like, oh, must be Raj. I like Raj. That's it. That's it. And as you said, vibrations, that comes back to vibe. Like vibrations, yeah, we, we resonations, it like it's, these are concepts that are actually just thrown into conventional language and, and we don't actually think to, or step back to really think about what that is like, like that. And, 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 and the physics behind, or even just the physical concepts of it, right? Like by recognizing that you are a tuning fork that is in tune with vibrations and resonance, 
that changes the way that you actually think about your own relationship with yourself. And, and with others too. I mean, because if I'm emitting a, a really strong, beautiful heart signal, then yeah. I'm going to change change the world around me and change the people around me. And, it, and it's quite a simple concept. I mean, if you if you put two guitars opposite one another and you hit the C string on one, go and look up, go and look at what's happening at the uh, at the other guitar. The C string will be vibrating. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> it's as simple as that. Gosh, man. Why do we make life so that goes back to it goes back to the whole talk about life and death and children, right? Like when you truly think about it, like we complicate things so much, but when we're truly brought back to presence and the simplicity of a child and the simplicity of life, which is the absolutes, you are born mm-hmm. one day and then you die one day, like all of these concepts truly just bring you back in to just it's it's life is it's at its very simplest a gift. <laughs> Yeah, hundred percent. You know, as it said, you know, life is simple. It's just not easy. And I would argue that the easiness and the ease of life is the spiritual journey, right? Like, yeah, it's just, like that is. It's 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 the dance between it's it's a dance between grace and suffering, which are both in some ways the conscious choice that we all get to make at some point. Like, I truly, even you. I mean, look at your story, right? Like, you're looking at your terminal sort of diagnosis as the biggest gift, right? That's a choice. Yeah. That's a choice that it's a conscious choice that you're making to take that experience and make it mean something for your life. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're getting back to that idea that, you know, people often say everything happens for a reason, but I think there's a missing step in there and that is you've got to create that reason or you've got to feel into that reason. It's not just going to happen automatically. Yeah. I, I would say life just happens forget the for a reason bit the, the rest is up to you right and that's it like you can like i can i can decide whether my cancer and, and loss of family members in that way is, is you know the reason is is my choice you know i got to go out there and own it and take responsibility for my own life and 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 see the gifts and i'll say this i don't think enough people realize how powerful of a concept that is i don't think people truly realize how powerful it is that you get to define your life's experience like if somebody gives you lemons, you can truly either bitch about the fact that you don't like lemons or take those lemons, make lemonade and sell the lemons just because you don't love lemons. Like it doesn't matter, but like truly it's a choice to look. And this is why I think practices like gratitude for me, like gratitude and active appreciation has been such a powerful daily practice for me. Like yours is meditation. For me, truly, it's been appreciation. Like write down at least five to 10 things every day that I'm truly grateful for, feel the depth of gratitude. Because for me, that has been the most profound spiritual experience than anything life gives me. I'm like almost now unconsciously looking for the beauty in it. Unconsciously. Isn't that that amazing? And I think that can be parceled up in the same thing too, man. I mean, gratitude, compassion, meditation is is quite simply without doubt Mm. the most powerful form of meditation. You know, even now we're seeing that, even physiologically for your own body, there's enormous benefits to be had. You know, there's, there's, there's research out there now which shows that when we, when we meditate on, on self, any form of self-love or self-compassion or gratitude back to self, you actually get changes right down to genetic expression. Like mm-hmm. the body just begins to heal itself, you know. So for me, it's, it's, it's it, not just the fact that you can make everyone around you feel great and you can contribute to the world in that way, but there's also self-healing involved in that, those practices of appreciation and gratitude. 
A hundred percent, man. Like your, our bodies are such intelligent machines. They truly, truly, truly are intelligent. And so it, in some ways, like if there's, and maybe this is actually an interesting conversation I'd love to have with you considering that you do have cancer. So what is your belief around like the idea that diseases or or illnesses or ailments in your body are almost like almost a, a function of like something not supposed to be in your body energetically, or maybe you're holding up. Cause I know you used to, I mean, you shared with me at like, just like you had doubts with depression and like, do you think that led or that had anything to do with your, your cancer? Like, and what is your relationship with that? I'm just curious in general as a, as actually just a, a curious soul. Yeah, no, thank you, man. I, um, I appreciate the question. And yeah, I do think there's a connection. I do think there's a connection between all these things. Again, you, you said earlier that, you know, we're, we're just meaning making machines and we're just stories, you know, and I think that the stories we hold in our, in our, in our heads will dictate the way the body functions. It's back to the mind body connection, you know? And so for me, yeah, look, look, I'll, I'll, I'll share something with you. I will. My cancer is around a bone marrow disorder where basically my platelets are not functioning properly, you know, and I have a, 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 essentially too many platelets in my blood. That's, a very simplistic view of, of what's going on. And so if I look at my story as a young boy, there was a degree of needing to be a protector. I, I felt a very strong urge that I needed to protect my sister and my mum. Yeah. And so I took on that role very early in life. And I guess if you extrapolate forward, my body was listening to this sense of over overprotection, in fact, you know, and, and that played out in my early relationships with women where I was just too protective and trying to control and you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And and play and, and that and that never ended well. But when I think about the cancer that I got, what role do platelets play in the body? They're the protectors. You cut yourself and 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 the platelets all rush to the side of the wound to stop the blood from flowing and start to heal the wound. And they're protecting, they're protective, they're the part of the protective mechanism. So I had this story in my head, which was around overprotecting and lo and behold, you know, I reach 40 and, and the body just responds that way. Got to be something in there, right? There has to be. I mean, and that's your, your mind wouldn't make that connection, right? Like, and that goes back to, I mean, you being somebody who's, who's in resonance with yourself, right? Like after all these years, that's the truth that you are, are, are in alignment with. Right. Like, mm. I'm sure you've asked that question many times if that's right or wrong. And even now in this moment, in this truth, like that's where you are. And I think that there's something really profound about that. Yeah. But the flip side of that, too, I agree for sure. And the flip side of that is I need to let go of that story. Mm. This, this need to protect everyone and this need to um, be out there in the world in that way. And I think that if I can effectively do that, then it's going to put me on the path towards healing. And I feel like that's what's actually happened. And, you know, my blood's been pretty stable for quite a few years now. And, and I, I, I feel like letting go of that story has something to do with that. Letting go, forgiveness, compassion. What do you think and why do you think those? Like, I guess like I, I'm, I'm starting to realize now more than ever that letting go is, is the key to, to truly living in the present moment, right? Like, and, and it's sometimes the hardest thing to do and it's the scariest thing to do. Yeah. And, and we talked, I think we talked early days around the difference between acceptance and agreement. This idea that, you know, letting go requires an acceptance of the way things are, but that doesn't necessarily mean you have to agree with the way things are. 
Yeah. You know, there's a very big difference to saying I accept that my sister took her own life versus I agree, you know. And so, or I accept that I have cancer and I, I agree. You know, you, think, you can say that's not okay, but, but I accept it. Yeah. And to me, there's a massive difference between people get caught up in this idea that they have to be okay with everything in order to accept it. And that's not the case. Well, separating ourselves from the unconditional sort of nature of love and the choice that we have as human beings to do anything about that love is, is, is I think, a dance. Like, I can unconditionally love a younger version of myself that made a mistake and choose not to make the same mistake again. Right. Like unconditionally loving myself does not mean I am condoning or agreeing with the behaviors or the things that that younger version of myself did. And I think that that separation is one of the most freeing that for me, that was actually the thing that led me on my healing journey. Like when I truly got out of my eight year relationship, like I was truly actually not very happy with myself. Like I was in a place of self-loathing. And for me, my journey was truly like, okay, Raj, yes, like you weren't perfect but I unconditionally love and forgive and accept you as you are. And I know you want to be a better human being. So make better choices or make different choices or choose better. Right. And so I think that's, that's the freedom piece. Like unconditional acceptance is almost your birthright. Everybody's born with the right to love themselves. You don't have to earn that love. You, you came with love, you came with acceptance. And sometimes in, in, in my, at least in my journey, I don't know if this resonates for you, but Coming back to center, coming back to truth and presence in this moment has been letting go of anything that doesn't necessarily align with that truth. Yeah, man. I feel like I want to let that land for a bit because it does resonate really deeply with me. It does. Um, yeah. And perhaps, you know, I, I'm interested in, you, you may have thought about this already, but I even think that using the word unconditional in front of love is kind of superfluous mm-hmm. because <laughs> if love is conditional in any way, then it's not love. So I think that we, we, talk, we, we talk a lot about this idea of unconditional love and there is no other kind of love. So why are we even using the word unconditional? It's not love if it has conditions. Yeah, that's it. So maybe it's not even the love. It's the story attached to the love. Yeah, brother. Right? Yeah, now, maybe, now maybe, we're talking. Right? The story is actually the thing that, that we get to let go because mm. once you let go of the story, all that exists is love. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. You think about, you know, in any relationship that you're in and everything is a relationship. You know, people say, I, I think it's hilarious when people say I'm not in a relationship at the moment. And I'm like, really? <laughs> you know, it's like relationship every with single... nature, relationship with yeah, yourself, yeah, yeah. relationship. With... Yeah. Your, your fingers have a relationship with your hand and your hand has a relationship with your arm and it, you know, everything. So, um, yeah, I, I agree with, with, with that. I think that's a beautiful thought, you know. Um, and maybe when we start placing conditions, what we're saying is I don't love all of it. And I think about that in the terms of a relationship and also looping it back to the conversation around death. If you don't love the fact that you die, then you're loving yourself conditionally. So that's where I think love is a word that gets a story attached to it. A hundred percent. So like, so like maybe even defining love acceptance. I mean, these are all different forms of the same, like they all go into the bucket of something we may call love, right? The the English language is limited in that capacity to truly describe the unifying nature of something like love. But there are many words that we may use in practicality to sort of thread that concept together. Yeah. And, and, and on top of that, the words that I might use 
I've attached a different meaning to them than the words that, that you choose. So it, when two people say that they love each other, they mean different things yeah. based on their own concept of love. And it falls somewhere in the middle and we just do our best to kind of pick up the pieces. At the end of the day, you know, words are just, words are just noises we make with our mouths, man. And, and whatever, whatever meaning is packed into them is, is based on our own life experiences and no two people are going to have the same life experiences. So every piece of no one's ever said anything from out of their head using words that is completely accurate and landed perfectly with the other person we scrabble in the in-between you know me hearing what you've said and you trying to trying to fumble around to try to find words to express what's in your head you know i remember um david foster wallace saying beautifully beautifully once how can i have so much inside me when to you it's just words Mm. Wow, that's so profound. And that comes back to the idea that we, I can't think, energy, man. Like, I, I truly feel like energy speaks a thousand words, right? Like, the way you make somebody feel is so much more powerful than anything you can say or do for them. A hundred percent, you know. And, and I think, particularly as men, you know, we, we do, we, we say a lot, you know, and, 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 the partners in our lives are looking for feeling and, 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 and action and stuff. Not so much, not so much the words, you know, that's interesting, isn't it? It is, it is. And it's, it's a dance. I mean, it, I truly think that we're in this, this vortex right now where you know, COVID just kind of activated a lot of things for a lot of people, but as a global consciousness, we're, we're truly coming back especially for men, truly coming back to the harmony of life. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. And you know what's interesting? It's like we, we talked at the very beginning about the, the nece- necessity for a descent um, in order to find that spark of genius or whatever it is deep inside us so we can understand the connection back to up above. Yeah. What, what the coronavirus has done, it's like pushed humanity into a, into a descent. And yeah. you can see how people don't, do not like that discomfort. But if we stay down there long enough, we're going to find the gold, you know, instead of mm-hmm. coming up too early without the lesson. And that's why, you know, People are resisting lockdowns and things like that so much because they don't like being down there. But again, now down there, perhaps try to search for that gold ring outside of the lamplight and, and learn to be comfortable down there until until we, you know, we find whatever it is. And then when we come out, you know, that's when we create a, a new world. And I think it's actually interesting that it's called lockdown. You know, we're not being locked up. Mm, damn, that's profound. That's really interesting. I like that. I like that as an invitation for anybody listening to, uh, and I'll say this, like there's a lot of destruction caused by this virus. There's a lot of things that physical things that have been happening because of this virus. And I'll, I'll, I'll be the first to admit that. But on the other hand, that doesn't discount the opportunity and the invitation to truly use this time as a chance to be with what is. Oh, I I agree. And yeah, like everything, there's two sides of the coin, and one side, you know, is is there's uh, don't even need to talk about the pain and the suffering and 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 the, and the discomfort. But again, it's it's what we were talking about on a grander scale, right? Maybe maybe this was the level of lesson that the universe needed to give us as a collective. You collect, yeah, this could be a collective rite of passage right now. Oh, that's so empowering. I, I I feel that energy a lot for me this year. It's definitely been a rite of passage of just unbecoming so that I can become. A hundred percent. And so, so if this is a, a, a collective, you know, rite of passage, a collective initiation, it's like, what, what are we being initiated into? What is the new world that we're returning to? That's the part that I was talking about earlier about our imagination. You know, the, the, the shamans would say, you know, we imagine, we need to imagine the new world. 
And what are we doing in that regard? Well, we're experiencing it. It's not even, I had a really important mentor of mine share this perspective with me. It's not about understanding anything. It's about experiencing it. The only way out is through. So maybe this experience that we're in right now, that's the actual invitation is to be, to experience it, to go, to go deep and to allow that to be the catalyst that then creates the meaning for what this initiation is even supposed to be. Man, I, I feel like I could talk to you for, for hours and hours and hours, and we may actually have to do that. <laughs> After this conversation, man, I just, I'm so grateful for you. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate it. And, and it's the same, you know, and, and it's exactly what we were talking about. You know, it's like, um, it's frequency, it's resonance. And, um, you know, for me and you, I'm happy to put it out there, brother, because I, I, I would love to, you know, continue the connection and deepen it, in fact. Absolutely, brother. I, well, that's, that's without even a doubt. So uh, for everybody listening, Asher, why don't you just share a little bit about sort of what your, what your work is in the world and, and how anybody who may have listened to this conversation and, and, and want to either reach out, get involved, or even just say thank you, how can they do so? Yeah, there's a couple of different parts, and, and thank you for, for for inviting me to share that. Um, I am a a personal coach, so uh, I, I do private sessions with people, and I, I, it's interesting because the type of people that come to me are people where I've had I've had that experience, you know. So it can I work with a lot of men. I work with a lot of people who have chronic illness. Um, I work with a lot of people who are experiencing grief. And I work with a lot of executives, senior executives who are just looking for, for something more and to, to, you know, for, for harmony in their life, you know, outside of the workplace and, and, and home and family and all the different pieces. I also have a studio in Melbourne. We run a physical space in Melbourne, which is called The Fifth Direction, which is around movement um, and meditation. And we run lots of different workshops and experiences down there as well as, well as just operating it as kind of like a regular, a regular gym. Um, that's closed at the moment. And then I have a, um, another area of, of my work, which, which is called Warrior Within, which is all men's work. So it's, it's kind of these kinds of conversations in a way and helping men, particularly like I would say that the majority of men that arrive have hit that wall where you know, their formula for life is no longer working and they've been forced into a descent of some kind you know, and they're actually grappling with, with how to handle that, you know. I mean, my country, and I'm sure it's similar in the US actually, but three quarters of suicides in this country are men. And, and I think it's, it's largely to do with this fact that, you know, the stereotypical male kind of way is a very, very strong, they, they put a lot of strength in the value of self-reliance to the point where um, it becomes a detriment, you know, when, when things get tough that they don't reach out and they don't talk because... I'm a self-reliant man. I don't need that, you know. I um, don't need anyone else. I can fix it for myself. And sometimes fixing can equal ending your life because you see that as the ultimate solution. Yeah, everyone will be better off without me, that sort of thing. And I can solve this problem by simply removing myself from the planet. And, you know, we, we do a stack of work. We've been doing that for three and a half years now. We've got over 500 men that we reach in some way, shape or form. Um, and a lot of that happens online, particularly since COVID. Uh, we've had to move a lot of that operation online. So we're running like upwards of 30 sessions a, a month all over Zoom. And, and now um, we, we were, this is, this is one, of the, one of the, I guess, one of the blessings in some way. It's like prior to COVID, we were very much Australia-based. And now I look at the men and we've got men from all over the world. And, and, and that, that could have never happened before. 
No, it's such a gift, man. I, I truly believe we live in the greatest time to be alive. Like we truly do. And this is like, we've, the collective has never had a bigger opportunity. Like some of these concepts around purpose, around meaning, around depth, around meditation presence. I mean, like think about 40 years ago, like those, those concepts were reserved for a select few in the world that had access or had the privilege or were part of a culture. And we live in a time now where these concepts are so readily accessible. You could listen to this podcast and all of a sudden now have an entry point into the, a line of work or a mentor or a teacher that could literally change your life. Like I, it blows me away just how beautiful this time is that we are, we are alive in. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's like the chances of, of you and I having this conversation are, are almost none. You're making me want to fly out to Australia and hang out with you, man. You're making me want to fly out to Australia and just, just come hang out. Like <laughs> whenever all this stuff dies down, like crazy. Brother, I, like I said, I, I feel like I could literally talk to you for hours, but I want to respect the time. I want to respect your time, your energy, and just thank you so much for showing up the way you do in the world and for being such a shining example of what it means to truly take what life has given you and make it mean something more on your own. Like you, you made the choice and I think there's nothing more inspiring and nothing more empowering than reminding myself as well as anyone listening that we all have a choice. And um, I just want to thank you. I'm, I'm so grateful for, for you. Oh man, you know, Thank you. Really, honestly, it's been an, it's been a real pleasure meeting you. And um, you know, we've talked about it already, but you know, from the moment we started talking, I, I knew that things would just sing. You know, yeah. that, that's vibrational. It's energetic, and 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 I know that I'm going to enjoy a lot more conversations with you over the journey. So I'm looking forward to it. I love it, brother. Well, I got one last question for you. Um, and by the way, all of the stuff that uh, Asher mentioned around the resources, guys, we'll make them available in the show notes. So no worries about that. But Asher, one last question for you. In the midst of everything you've experienced in your life and everything you continue to experience, how do you stay grounded? Yeah, I'd have to say it comes back to my discipline of meditation. That's the key somewhere in there. And whatever that looks like, you know, because it's not like people say, oh, you know, what exactly do you do? It's like it it can change over the course of time. Um, But there's always this time that I carve out to come back to self, you know, and as, as you said, you know, to do with gratitude and compassion and just, I'm struggling to remember a quote. There's a beautiful quote from Joseph Campbell, but he talks about finding moments like away from your relationships and job and home and all the things, find a moment away where you can just be with something else. And, and then all those things will benefit, you know? So for me, it just comes back down to that, you know, and if I'm doing it out in nature with, with my shoes off, and connected to the earth, all the better. Brother, uh, man, this has been probably one of my favorite conversations that I've had on the show for in a while. So I, again, thank you so much for being here. Um, but uh, everybody, that is a wrap for this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I'm your host, Raj. This is your new friend, Asher. And from us, stay grounded. We'll chat with you soon. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you found this interview helpful as you create your own ways to live an extraordinary life. For more resources and support, please visit www.rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded to join the official Stay Grounded Facebook group, a place where aspiring life enthusiasts can connect and ignite passion for life together. My hope is that the positivity, content, resources, and support in this group will resonate with you on a deeper level. 
that what you hear in our podcast, read in our thoughtful posts, or learn in our courses will empower you to live with intention, uncover true purpose, and challenge the internal dialogues that stop you from being who you really want to be in your life. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Stay grounded.